This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, everyone. I hope you all had a very nice Labor Day holiday. It is so beautiful today. I just took a long walk through my gardens. I sat on the ground in the middle of the meadow I have grown on my front lawn. From there, I could see butterflies, moths, and bumblebees flying back and forth in the sun and visiting the flowers. The birds were grabbing seeds off plant stalks and eating flower petals. It was perfectly quiet except for the chirping of crickets. It is truly a peaceful place. As summer comes to a close, these beautiful idyllic days are becoming more and more precious, and I don't want to miss a single minute. I think we've got a great show for you today. Today we'll be talking about the long, slow death of the American lawn and what you can do to fight the erratic effects of climate change in your own garden. And now let's talk about the long, slow death of the American lawn. When I look back on my childhood growing up in Connecticut, what I see is conformity. I grew up in a neighborhood with street after street of box-shaped white houses with their squares of manicured green lawns. At 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, you could hear engines revving up and down the avenue as dads mowed the front lawns. It was more than a weekly ritual. It was a stage play acted out in front of each house, a reaffirming of the American dream, a sort of distorted display of the Protestant work ethic of work hard, reap great reward. And of course, it was a big white flag of surrender to the idea of keeping in step with the cultural norms of the day. I can remember so clearly my mother calling me indoors when my father was mowing the lawn. I always forgot, but she somehow remembered how the freshly cut grass and exhaust triggered allergies and severe respiratory distress for me. It wasn't long before I was diagnosed with asthma. My grandfather liked to tell the story of how the street where we lived was once forest that had been cut down to create farmland during the time of the Civil War. Acres and acres of flat land were planted and harvested. In our case, it was tobacco. And when the farms went bust during the Depression in the 1930s, they were sold off. Developers came in and carved the farms into as many one-eighth of an acre lots as they could. Great care was taken when laying out these lots to afford ample space in the front yard for a lawn of grass. Real estate advertising back in the 1940s and 50s used phrases like, Why rent when you can own your own castle? And be the lord of the manor. The allure of the lawn at that time was its connection to real castles and real manors in England and elsewhere. These palaces enjoyed a huge expanse of manicured green grass where the entitled rich could while away the hours playing croquet while picnicking on triangular-shaped cucumber sandwiches. In other words, lawn said privilege. It said leisure class. Lawn said successful. 
Lawn said, I have arrived. The American dream is real. Just look at my lawn. While people occasionally made use of their lawns, for the most part, these miniaturized versions of conspicuous consumption were merely for show and for showing off. An entire industry was born out of that need to show off. You were looked upon with disdain if you dared allow your lawn to turn brown or if you allowed the grass to grow over four inches high. A huge market was created for the gasoline-chugging lawnmower, that obnoxiously loud exhaust-producing machine that caused more early deafness in the American male than any factory job. And of course, marketing told you that you needed a whole host of products like fertilizer and grub control. But there was a price to pay for conspicuous consumption, and we are all still paying it. Nine billion gallons of water are still poured onto lawns in the United States every day. This is while huge regions of the country suffer severe drought. The western United States is now grappling with the worst drought in over a thousand years. It is a situation that, according to scientists, could force millions of climate refugees to move eastward to find new places to live with access to water. In addition, tons of pesticides are still sprayed and poured onto American lawns every year, and many of these toxins end up running into sewers and following pristine rivers, streams, and lakes. But the times they are changing, albeit very slowly. This enormous level of toxic pollution is causing many Americans to forego the lawnmower and standard lawn practices. Instead, people are opting for native plants. Planting native fosters much quieter neighborhoods. It also welcomes back the birds that were hard-pressed to find insects they needed to feed their young, thanks to all of the pesticides. Perhaps you don't want to part with your front lawn altogether. You can slowly and steadily fill lawn space with winding stone pathways and islands of native trees and perennials. This will give you a colorful cottage garden effect. You can even create rain gardens or seasonal swales. What you will discover over time is that you are having so much fun watching hummingbirds and butterflies, you will forget all about that last little patch of lawn, and you will plant it with more native flowers. If you do retain some lawn space in the front yard, consider planting pollinator beneficial plants. These include organic clover and violets, or plant ground covers like bearberry, creeping thyme, and moss flocks. Add a white picket fence and some colorfully painted nesting boxes, and you will start to notice some neighbors walking very slowly when passing by your house, admiring the beauty of your front yard. There are several reasons people are reluctant to convert their front yard from lawn to garden. You may be dealing with an unenlightened homeowners association, or perhaps a puritanical lawn-obsessed neighbor is giving you the stink eye. You can take the slow approach and with each spring and summer season, reshape your front yard so it supports the bees and the birds. Use signs that explain your conversion to native. There are some very attractive signs you can order from the National Wildlife Federation or the New Hampshire Pollinator Partnership that explain the benefits of natives. There is no doubt things are changing and there will be some diehard lawn lovers that refuse to convert but one day they will step outside and notice they are the only house left on the street with a sterile green lawn, and maybe, just maybe, they will conform to the new norm. Now let's talk about climate change and your garden. It is becoming increasingly important to keep a close eye on your garden. Why is that? 
With climate change, you are going to see some strange anomalies in your garden. And the sooner you spot them and take action, the better off your plants and the ecosystem in your yard will be. It is already obvious just how much hotter it is getting. You may notice that with the higher temperatures, your plants are growing bigger and wilder. My husband and I have started referring to our backyard as Vietnam. And while a bright green jungle is always nice, higher temperatures can also speed up development, causing a plant to flower too early. According to Dr. Douglas Tallamy, entomologist and author of the book Bringing Nature Home, this can create chaos in the normal synthesis between plants and pollinators like bees. These pollinators need to feed on pollen and nectar at specific intervals in their life cycle. To make matters worse, off-sync flowering may cause the plant not to receive the pollination it needs from the bees in order to develop berries or other types of fruit. This has a direct impact on the survival of birds. In addition, the seeds of numerous plants require a dormancy period of cold temperatures in order to sprout come springtime. The cold weather contributes to the cracking open of the seed and its sprouting. According to Alexis Doshis, the nursery manager at the Native Plant Trust Nassami Farm in Waitley, Massachusetts, radical shifts in temperature that interrupt this cold period can result in seed sprouting failure. Many fruit trees, like apple trees, also require dormancy before blooming, and interrupted dormancy can result in fewer or no fruits. Now let's take a look at host plants. The same potential problem holds true for the host plants of butterflies and moths. If a butterfly caterpillar emerges at a time that is out of step with the host plant's development, that species will find it difficult, if not impossible, to complete its life cycle and reproduce. The other issue to keep an eye on is moisture. You may likely see traditionally damp areas of your yard start to dry out, which means plants that like it wet will be unable to survive and thrive. The opposite can apply for your drier garden areas. You may find them growing more hospitable to moisture-loving plants. Keeping a close eye on all areas of your garden will allow you to make the planting changes necessary to preserve your plants. Climate change can also impact the soil food web. This involves the life underground, the mycelium, bacteria, and organisms that control the flow of nutrients and water through the roots to the plants and trees. So what can we do about all of this? Scientific studies are showing that the more natives you plant in your yard, the more resilient your landscape will be, despite the sometimes erratic changes in climate. Natives are already adapted to climate fluctuations and need little watering, if any. Plant as many natives as you can, particularly those that serve as host plants for butterflies and moths. For a number of years, experts have said to make sure you have at least 70% native plants and trees on your property. That percentage, unfortunately, may no longer be sufficient to help your property survive climate change. Many native gardeners I have spoken with have told me they are doubling down. They are now attempting to go to 80% or more native when possible. Spend the fall identifying your non-natives and spend the winter planning how to replace them with natives come springtime. Also keep in mind, the more different types of natives you plant, the more you are diversifying the population of soil microbes under the ground. Scientists are saying this will create healthier ecosystems in your yard. Native plants and trees are suited to the soil where they are planted and as a result grow longer roots, often 10 to 30 times deeper than non-natives. 
These roots develop into a spongy mass, retaining thousands of gallons of rainwater and helping your yard weather dry conditions and even drought. Another thing you can do is stop digging. When planting natives, only dig as much as you need to place the plant into the ground. There is no need to dig a huge ditch. Digging releases carbon into the atmosphere and disturbs the precious mycelium and microbes under the ground needed for healthy soil. Scientists are now saying to create an abundant overlap. The more types of natives you plant, the better chance there is that host plants will be available to caterpillars when they need them. The difference between one or two types of host plants and three to six plants is monumental. It's worth doing the research to make sure you are providing all of the host plants you possibly can. But by far the most important thing you can do to fight climate change in your own yard is, wait for it, get rid of your lawn. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? (laughs) Replace your lawn with as many natives as possible you will find that reducing your lawn will naturally cool your property since native plants have deeper roots than grass and retain more rainwater. Also, planting trees on or along the edge of your lawn will provide much-needed shade and coolness. You will want to plant appropriately for altered moisture and light levels. And when your neighbors ask why your yard looks like a jungle and their yard looks like a desert, you can tell them, native plants. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.